let me give you guys a little quiz now. Stephen Hawking, supposed to be like uh, considered the genius of his time. The words of a, a, a man of science are not always scientific, right? He has a statement here, and he write his entire proposition, which the new atheists utilize in his book, The Grand Design, is summarized in this following sentence. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. Now, here's the amazing thing. This guy, he's a physicist, right? He lives in the world of observation and calculation. He so obviously and very clearly has not given any attention to basic logic. We come to you today with a number of guests. Uh, first of all, a uh, brother who I've uh, come to know over a few years, Sheikh Aminul Islam. What's your last name? Ruhullah. Oh, what a name. Subhanallah. Aminul Islam, Ruhullah. Sounds like you're going to conquer something. <laughs> like one of the historical conquerors. We have Milana Shibli. You're from where originally? Toronto, Ontario. Oh, you're Canadian, mashallah. So Toronto, Ontario, you did your studies? In South Africa, Azadville. Darlam Azadville. Uh, okay, and, and then? Uh, um, after graduating, I took up a position in Chicago, working currently in Dar es Salaam. Okay, good. And you teach? And I teach Aqaid. That's good, that's good, mashallah. And yourself? Uh, my name is Muhammad Pasha. Okay, also Azadville? Azadville, yeah. Azadville, is this... Uh, it's the name of a town in... A, but it sounds like an Arabized... Yes, yeah, like Azad or... Yeah. <laughs> what, how did that come about? Um, actually, during the apartheid in South Africa, yeah. what you had is that you had um, minorities living in their specific areas. So you had yeah. like the Indians banding together in one area, there the was blacks in one area, a lot of segregation. So okay. Azadville is like one of those Indian Muslim Settlement. communities, settlements that uh, I think they started like about 30, 40 years ago. And Alhamdulillah, they started Darulun there shortly after its. Uh, so you know, Azad inception. sounds like it's Urdu. Or it Azad freedom. Yeah. It's free. Free. Yeah. In Urdu. Yeah. And then they added the vil. Yeah. Because yeah, here cool. we have a group called Jamaat al Fukra. They're mm. actually listed as a terrorist organization, I think. Oh, wow. And they have this really interesting thing. They have Holy Islamville. <laughs> <laughs> right? They have Islamburg. Oh. Yeah, they're, they're, it's in America, right? Yeah, Islamburg, yeah. I think, is in New York. Holy Islamville yeah, is in North South Carolina. And what they did is they had a sheikh from Pakistan. He was a type of um, untrained Sufi sheikh. Like he's see. not trained in the regular way that uh, others mm-hmm. are trained in. He's sort of just a natural, has a natural spiritual gift, I guess you could say. But those types, in fact, uh, even if he himself is all taqwa and everything is excellent within him, sometimes the effect is not good, mm-hmm. right? Because the way things are done are not right. Like a genius, just because someone's a genius, he may be smarter than all of us in the room. Doesn't mean he could do a surgery. Yes, right? of course. Yeah. Figuring it out his own way. So what he did is he actually stole uh, followers. Really, that's really what happened. I mean, Allahu Alam, but the, according to the history, that's what it really looks like, that there was a group in New York. They were led by an African-American convert who himself was a student of a Hanafi sheikh from Pakistan. Hmm. He, they had a little group. I can't remember what they were called. He came in, right, and he basically took over the group and isolated the, the, the lead, their leader. I see. I mean, we would consider that like stealing followers, really. Mm-hmm. So... He did that. These followers followed him, right? 
And uh, the only issue with his doctrine a little bit was that they are almost like Shias, mm-hmm. in a sense. They never had anything against Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Omar, or Sayyidina Muawiyah that I saw directly. But they viewed themselves as the partisans of Ahlul Bayt, and they had a lot of this. So we would call, they would be like sort of the like original, this. no, like, you know, the original Tashayyur. Mm-hmm. The original Tashayyur that existed inside of Ahlul Sunnah mm-hmm. that was not, not Rafidi. Yeah. Like many people who try to attack Bukhari or try to cast doubt or try to merge between Sunni and Shia theologies, they say, well, the Sunnis originally, you quote Shi'is in Bukhari, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And though no, those weren't Shi'is, that was Tashayyu, which is explicit and additional praise of Ahlul Bayt. That was not the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond A little bit beyond the norm. Yeah. So Imam Shafi had that. Imam Nasa'i had that, right? Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, even, he has so many ahadith for Ahlul Bayt that aren't found in other uh, canonical sources. So that tashayyah does not remove a person from Ahlul Sunnah, right? Mm-hmm. The, it's rafd and cursing and believe or believing that mm-hmm. the Sahaba, early Sahaba were cursed. That's what they had. So that, this group, Jamaat al-Fuqra, has a little bit, has that type of tashayyah. And he intermarried with them. He has children, Nasib, and mm-hmm. they, he was from a high Qadri lineage. Right, this sheikh, oh, right? and all of his type of tasawwuf and futuhats just happen naturally, right? So he's not like uh, what we would promote, which is a systematic approach to the deen. Study, have a sheikh, be mentored, and then years later, your fruit may come out. That type of person, and actually, there is in Surah An Naba, right? Surah An Naba. Tells us uh, what's the actual Jannatin al Fafa in Nayam al Fasl can me kata Yoma in Fakhusuri Fatun Afwaja of Tadisan Fakanat Abwaba, was Sir Tiljibal Fakanat Sarada in Najahanama Kanat Mirzada, Litorin Maaba, Labithina Fiha Akaba, Laithukuna Fia Burdon, Walla Sharaba, Illa Hamimim Wasaka, Jaza and Wifaka, in Hunkanu Layer Juna Hisaba. There's there there's maybe it's earlier um What's, this is like two this. types of growth. Two types of growth. Jannat al Fafa is it what it no no maybe it's not. Either way, the summary is uh planted gardens, intentional gardens, and wildflowers. Okay. Right? So one of the tafsir of this is that the awliya of Allah Ta'ala, they're of two types. The planted, intentional planted garden mm-hmm. and the wildflowers, right? Okay. In, uh, so if you recite the surah in your head while I'm talking, you can come up with what I'm saying, right? That, uh, that the awliya of Allah, the salihin are of two types. That, that which comes naturally and that which comes intentionally. That which comes intentionally, you can always eat from, right? You can always eat from an intentionally planted garden that's made for food. But you cannot always eat from wild berries. So you can die. They themselves are beautiful to look at. Jungles, right? But you can't go eat from there, right? You can't even go into it sometimes. There's insects and poisonous things, right? SubhanAllah. So yeah. those, he is that sheikh, and I'm just saying this for the sake of our education, because sometimes mm-hmm. these awliya, they can be uh, very beloved from Allah, even though we won't take from them, mm-hmm. right? But he was from that type of group by itself, right? And oftentimes... Uh, without their intent, a lot of damage occurs. 
Oh, so this was a person. He wasn't um, deliberately misleading the people. He had no. like, sincere intentions. And I wouldn't even say like misleading, but it would be maybe I would say um, not the normal way of doing things. So what he did is basically they found land. He would find land and he would say, abandon the cities completely. Mm. Right. Now, is that the normal way that mm-hmm. a Sunni scholar would say anything? Right. Because uh, even though Akhir Zaman, the Prophet said that the Jad comes to the cities. Right. We know that the rules of Akhir Zaman do not imply rulings. Right. But all right. You could take. So he says, don't go and live in these cities. Buy acres of, of, of land. They bought the acres of land and then they settled in it. Once they settled in it, they're allowed now to establish a local government. So they establish local government and they agree upon the rules themselves. And they live in complete isolation. Complete isolation. It was actually them who also, this is also something that this would actually be totally forbidden. But when, what was his name? Rashid, Rashad Khalifa. Yeah, we were actually mm. discussing. Claimed the yeah. Nabuwa, right? <laughs> they uh, ended it, right? They ended it. Mm-hmm. So they took him out. Claimed Nabuwa, they took him out. They he was also implicated but found totally innocent of a journalist Daniel Pearl, Wall Street journalist who was mm. killed. He was found totally innocent of that. But because of all these things around them, that they're number one, they're African American movement. They're all African Americans. Right? Mm-hmm. They all he he has them all learning Urdu and Arabic, right? They sing that, oh, right? They do dhikr, they pray, they I, have ilm and all that, right? Like they have their own I, types of basic ilm. I, I remember seeing a. Um, it was quite a few years ago. I remember seeing a video, mm-hmm. and then um, it was a bit like they were doing adhkar mm-hmm. in unison in the masjid. I'm asking, was, I'm just wondering if it's the same person or something. And there was, um, you know, a prince sitting in the minbar, and he was like, and like this is his words, and he's yeah. like, "Come on, everybody!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, <laughs> they have kind, things like that. It yeah. was something similar to a church. It was, it was, it was like a merge, right? Yes. It was uh, like it's like a merge Quite of, interesting. of, of different that, that cultures. Dur- that Durud one, right? Yeah, like yeah. come on, everybody. Yeah, it's like a merge <laughs> of things. Like, it's a very unique group, to be honest with you, right? And um, boy, think about it. Like what he did, though. The result of all this is that you have kids that would have grown up in really toxic environments in the hood. Yeah. Right? And now they're growing up in complete nature, right? Okay. So it's it was it's sort of not necessarily our the the Sunnah way of doing things, which is to complete remove from society. Mm-hmm. But it's at the same time not totally uh, foreign either. Like it's not understandable. But that's the group. And how do we get to that? But the, um, this group, uh, their their methods seem uh, they sound very similar to these outlandish groups. You know, like Jim Jones. Yeah, like, like a group yeah. Of there, it, it's Tanner, a, a like lot of it. David like Koresh in Waco, Texas. Yeah, like we would say, look, you could isolate yourself much, but but at least be part of the ummah, right? Yes, like have some kind of clue what's going on around you. Like that's how we would do things, right? And by the way, back in the day, whenever you see, oh, Sheikh so-and-so, he went and lived in the mountain for 50 years to purify his nafs. In those 50 years, nothing changed, right? Yeah. In those worlds, back in those times, mm-hmm. two, 300 years ago, 500, 600, 800 years ago, he'd go and live in a mountain for 100 years and come back, nothing has changed, mm-hmm. right? So the idea of like, uh, the idea of being outdated is very bad for a scholar. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely. You're pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to be outdated in society, to come back, you will become a fitna. Mm. Because you definitely. will be not, the, 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 the next generation will be looking at you as, how are you beneficial? You are completely from another world. So you've not benefited people with your knowledge. Right? 
How did we end, end up? We on went this to we were starting from Azad, Azad film how it's you know it's segregated and then the Azad he said it is oh okay okay so that reminded the me of the Ville yeah but Azad Ville is not isolated from the rest of the world no. yeah it's, it's like a regular place. I mean yeah. it's known as a holy place though but really <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have a lot of ulama there and uh, the environment's amazing over there we it's have really a we have a number of people that email us all the time from South Africa so you know I'm sure they'll be happy that South Africa is coming up and I was actually meant to go to South Africa this uh, uh, soon. SubhanAllah. Right? The, the Sheikh uh, Habib Omar is there. And I had sort of made the intention to go, but then that intention immediately had to change because of certain circumstances that occurred here. Yeah. But I did have the event, uh, intent to go and, and see uh, South Africa. But in, uh, in any event, on to this episode, that the whole point of the Safina Saudi podcast, it's almost like a Kalami podcast okay, that we always want to give uh listeners and muslims in general the 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 confidence and recognition to realize that none of their beliefs are irrational that there are rational i shouldn't even say that's negative to say that to, sh- to point out the rational basis for their beliefs that to take on the beliefs and therefore the practice of this deen is a reasoned faith right and what we mean by that is not that every single hukum shar'i can be explained through reason or everything single uh, matter of doctrine can be explained r- rationally but rather that the roots are there's a rational basis for the roots right so to go over this very simply okay the idea that god can be proved rationally it is totally true Right, that this is this is the claim that belief in God is a rational basis. So what it what it what does that entail? First of all, what do we mean when we say God from a philosophical perspective? Philosophically meaning the source. Right, well, we all agree that the term God applies to uh, a being that has these attributes that can be determined by the intellect, and is a being that is outside that is the origin of all existence. He's the origin of all existence. That he exists is alive himself has no cause is wholly external to the universe okay has will volition volition means that he's doing things on purpose it's not like a machine that's producing things on purpose like the uh without purpose for example the law of gravity or any physical law it applies to you just because it uh, it does it's not purposely applying to you and then skipping you right that's that does not possess volition these so-called laws of, uh, of nature but this creator does have volition he's creating in with intent he's also live uh hearing seeing and speaking okay and he possesses knowledge so these are the what when we say the word god in the english language or whatever language from a philosophical perspective and when we say the the phrase philosophical perspective means that this the con- these conclusions are a result of aql reason only not transmission okay it we can all this is this is the definition of god that's what god is and so for example his his existence is based on the very simple argument that everything that has a beginning okay must have a cause every single thing that possesses a beginning must have come into existence because of a cause premise number two the universe has a cause this universe must have a cause and the reason for that is that you only really have uh, three options. Either this universe has a cause, 
has a beginning. Or second option is that it's a infinite regress of causation. And that's impossible because if you had infinite regress, you'd never arrive at the moment that you're in. All right. So if you had an X and Y axis and you went X to infinity to the left, you would never arrive at zero. Right. You just constantly be back there. Okay. So really pre-eternity is a figment of imagination in terms of material things, things that exist in a world of cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And we know this cause and effect exists in this universe, right? So that's impossible. The other, other possibility is the universe created itself. That's impossible too, because mm -hmm. that would presuppose existence and non-existence at the same time. So we know that. So the universe has an existence and this is, we can, uh, sorry, the universe has a beginning, both philosophically and through observed sciences, which now all the physicists are in agreement that the universe has a beginning. And by the way, we're not bound to that. If they all came tomorrow and discovered something else, right? So we're not bound to that. Just like a little icing on top that they also have observed that according to their calculations. Or I shouldn't even say observed it, but came to that conclusion. Third, so therefore, the universe the, the, um, must have a causeless cause. Why do you say causeless cause? Because if you say... If that cause had a cause, you'd just be part of the universe. Yes. So the causelessness of the cause is ne is necessary. So it's necessary that the universe has a cause, mm -hmm. and it's rationally, logically necessary that that cause be causeless and wholly external to the universe. That means is outside of time, space, cause, effect, and materiality. Right? What do we call this in theology? We call this al ghina al mutlaq, al baqa, al qidam, and mukhalafat al hawadith. Right. So this Kalam cosmological argument produces for us four of the 13 necessary attributes, mm -hmm. rationally comprehensible attributes, which is al-ghina absolute independence. Right. So he's not material. Uh, has no need for any space or anything. No space or material. He has baqa and qidam. If he's so holy, he's outside of time. Mm -hmm. So therefore he has no beginning and no end and he's wholly outside the timeline. You don't say that Allah is pre is infinite in either way, he's wholly outside the timeline com completely. And then Mukhalafat al-Hawadith, he's completely different from things that have a beginning. Which he's causeless, right? All these are in Surah Al-Ikhlas. Shaykh, if I ask a question, yeah. um, I heard certain scholars say that um, by understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is qadim, he is pre-eternal, it necessitates that he is baqi, that he yes, also, also be yeah. everlasting. Can you please right. clarify that? How does that work? Because if you are outside the timeline, you're outside the timeline, you negate both beginning and end. I see. Right? You neg it negates both a beginning and an end. Allah ta'ala does not have for him a now, a present, and a tomorrow, and yesterday. So if he's outside the timeline, it will negate both immediately, automatically. Okay. Yeah. I see. So there's no beginning or end point. There's no even beginning and end point. Yeah. Jazakallah. Right. So then our existence, just the fact that we exist, indicates qudra, ability, right? There has to be, if there's an effect, there must have been the ability to bring it into an existence. So just the fact that we exist indicates that whatever put us in ability has a, uh, mm -hmm. into this existence has ability. So that's the dalilul qudra, right? Just the fact that you exist. Uh, the next thing is that. When we look at this universe, it's complex. It's complex meaning that it cannot have come with the addition of things over time. Rather, things must have been created all at once. Okay. So, for example, the, the most example, best example, the example I give in complexity in the book in Science of Tawheed is that if you have a pen, you can't make a, one of these um, 
pens that you click, these clicking pens. You can't make it by one day deciding to make one part, then adding the next part the next day, adding the next part the next day, right? You actually have to add them all together at once, at a certain pressure, at a certain timing, right? has to come together at once. And if you remove one part, the entire thing is useless. So you can't say, I'm going to make a very rudimentary pen and make the first part. because Let's say the case. Because the case of the pen is useless, right? has no value. And then you say, okay, next I'm going to make the point. Now I have a better pen. No, you don't You don't have a pen, period, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to take the ink, third day. Well, the ink is pointless without the little plastic casing, the clear casing that holds the ink, right? Then on the fourth day, I'm going to have a casing. So each, on the, on the first four days, you still don't have a pen. You have a useless item, right? So complexity is the idea that it takes multiple objects together to make a functioning object. But Sheikh, don't like evolutionists claim that there are certain um, aspects like, you know, living organisms who carry um, evolutionary baggage, they call it, for example, appendix and stuff. And it's just that um, through the evolutionary process, they become redundant. And that's why they don't exist anymore. You know, survival of the fittest. So, well, um, that still won't solve their problem of complexity. Because, for example, the other famous example that uh, Behe, a professor from Allentown, likes to give, Michael Behe, is the wing. Mm-hmm. Right. What is the value of half a wing? It does it neither helps you fly nor helps you walk. It's a it's a burden to walk with that weight on your back, right? Half mm-hmm. a wing. You either need a full wing or no wing at all, right? Zebras, for example, the idea of a zebra being black and white, okay, he sticks out, right? So the only value of a zebra being black and white is if he's in a herd. At that point, the lion gets the stripes now have a function because now the lion cannot see he's dizzy he cannot tell one apart from the other so he stays away so the the idea of a zebra requires many 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 zebras right in order to have any value to those stripes otherwise those stripes are absolutely harmful to him you have a brown savanna light brown savanna the lion himself is light brown so he blends in he can hide yeah right and you're now going to create an animal uh, who is of prey. He's fl- fighting for his life. He's the one who deserves to stick out. And it deserves that the lion be colored orange or whatever so that the, pred- the prey can know. I think this is a total unfair advantage if you think about it. Yeah. So here it is. I stick out. I'm the hunted one. I'm sticking out. And my predator is hidden, right? Kind of long. Right? <laughs> Only, so now you have to say that whatever evolutionary mechanism that they're claiming uh, exist you must now hold that it is a possessor a great possessor of knowledge right mm-hmm. and that it's bringing all these things together at the same time that for it has qudra abilities taking action right to produce all of these zebras have to exist at once okay you need many 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 zebras to get the effect of protection because of your stripes once the zebras are together then they're protected by their stripes otherwise they're not protected okay that's why a lion has to run at them and then they're all going to go in one direction and the one that cannot keep up, that's the one that he attacks and he eats. Okay. Now think about the even from a more basic perspective. The fact of reproduction at all, period. That whatever reproductive, uh, me- whatever cre- or creative mechanism that they believe in produced the male genitalia must actually have knowledge of the existence of the female genitalia. Mm-hmm. Right? And produce both at once for either one to make sense. So, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of makhluks with definitely. male genitalia have no value, right? Definitely. Have no value. They'll die out as soon as they die, right? 
However, so you need two at once. Yeah, he created must be created in pairs immediately, right? Or in the same time period to give any sense to either organ. Otherwise, each organ makes no sense. Has no value in itself. No function. Well, has function of like male has can urinate with that, but he doesn't need his his, his reproductive organs to urinate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that. So complexity must indicate knowledge that this uh, being this cause has has knowledge. Next thing is that you notice that this universe is not just complex, but it has variation, right? It has variety. Every single thing is different. Exact opposite of a factory. Right, exact opposite of of what we call now the laws of nature, laws of physics. Laws of physics apply to all of us. Okay, uh, what what happens in water for all of us is the same. You go into water, you drown. Okay, um, you throw an object in the air, it goes down. It does not distinguish between us. It's going to mm-hmm. apply to all of us. So, but what we find about the creation of Allah Taala is that everything is unique. So variation indicates intent. That this was created on purpose, okay. And wherever, where so, so some people may say, okay, well then, if 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 you're looking at the creation and drawing, sort of the, that the cause must have this because the effect the effect has X, therefore the cause must have Y. Someone will say, well then, why is are there imperfections yes. in nature, right? Mm. Now here's the beauty of it. This is also a proof of of will, right? Every imperfection that you see in one cre- creation, right, you will find it perfected in another creation, mm. right, showing you that you don't have it on purpose, for a reason. You know that the mm. faces of cats, the faces of lions, the faces of even other animals, right? You notice that their faces are perfectly proportionate, like absolute beauty. Their forms are perfect. Okay, animals in nature, they only eat what they need. They stop eating, so their form is perfect. Lean, right? The face, you could down the middle, is perfect, right? Now, so therefore, if someone comes to the human being and says, why are human beings, right? Human beings, no face is actually perfectly proportioned. You say that you cannot therefore conclude, you cannot conclude that God himself is unable because he's done it in animals. When he wants to make perfect proportions, he can. So he must have not created perfect proportions in our faces, right? On purpose. For a reason. SubhanAllah. Tazheed, right? There must be, there is a reason because he created elsewhere. How about, um, okay, he created us so weak, right? We're so weak. But then you go and you have a cockroach. This can survive anything. Mm -hmm. Extremely sturdy or not what's uh, extremely resilient. resilient creature is the cockroach or take any animal in nature yeah any animal is living in the amazon rainforest in front of all of these uh, uh all of these germs and everything and they're surviving right so the weakness of the human being must be on purpose how about the short lifespans of human beings right it's not a weakness because we see that the moon has existed for millennia right if a, it's a rock we're far more complex than a moon, right? Mm-hmm. The moon and the mountains, they exist forever. Some of these redwood trees, not forever, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So Some of these trees, these redwoods have existed and, and, and are thousands of years old. So, the, so any imperfection that a person sees 
in a creation, he will find it perfected in another creation. This also is an indicator of irada, will. Now you go to, you look at the at nature, you find that it's a complete order. It's a complete order, right? Everything is predictable, except for the human human behavior, right? We're the creation that has willpower, right? But everything else is in order. Cats have been behaving like cats forever. You never t- find a period of time when cats loved. Uh, uh, what are cats afraid of? They're afraid of fire. They don't right? like water. They don't yeah. like. Be, be, you never dogs. had a time where where cats swim, right? Yeah. Loved water, and dogs buried their feces, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> dogs never cleaned themselves. Never mm-hmm. buried their uh, their defecation, right? Dogs have been dogs. Cats have been cats. The moon has been the moon, mm. right? You go into the history of human, whatever human beings write, the sun and the moon are behaving in the same way in all human literature, right? Never have a time where the sun, you know, like uh, is half a sun yeah. and then a crescent sun. You get full sunrise, right? <laughs> yeah. And you get the moon behaving in the same way, right? Uh-huh. So uh, you have order in the universe, predictability in the universe. And what does that indicate? It indicates oneness. There's an authority. Unless authority is working properly, right? There's one authority. And even the Quran tells us if you had a second God, they'd have an argument and you'd see corruption in the earth. Each one would, would want to take his creation and you would have cor- a corruption in the, in the earth. They would argue amongst one another. Another argument meaning their wills would clash. Mm-hmm. You never have a household in which there's no debates because you and your wife have different wills, right? At some point, they're going to clash. So this is the indicator that there is oneness. The authority of this universe is one. The, this creator is one. Okay? Anytime you have harm and damage is related to the human being. Like You'll never have lions committing genocide against zebra, if you notice this. Mm. But humans commit genocide against other humans. Mm. Humans wipe out animals. Humans do harm to other humans. Even the like babies... In nature of animals when the babies come out deformed it's because they became too close to human environments and got corrupted otherwise babies are born like deformities in nature are almost unheard of right deformities amongst human beings is caused because of our corruption accidentally sometimes right whatever we put into the whatever we're digesting etc so that's the indicator of oneness um, Sheikh, um yeah. but can't someone argue that um, there can be multiple, um, you know, leaders in a specific project, and there's still like uniformity going on. So, how can order in the universe can be? How can it be used as a conclusive argument to prove the tawhid, the oneness of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? Anytime that there is order, so there is there are links. Order and oneness are always together. Like what you say, there, there. Give me an example in this life where people have come together. Everyone does certain job. Without appointing one, one person of overseer of all of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Right? There will be an oversight on everything, right? Now, if they want to argue, well, that's, this is the God of this universe, and there may be a, another perfect universe that that's another God has, right? Well, at that point, you're extrapolating a philosophical statement upon another philosoph- an imagination. We're extrapolating a conclusion based upon an observed reality. Mm-hmm. We would not accept a conclusion based upon an imagined, maybe, reality. And this castles on clouds, yeah. Yeah. So you want to tell me that there's 
uh, 10 trillion light years away, there's another universe and there's another God and they're happily so far apart that they're not arguing, we would say that that's a conclusion based upon an imagination, which is not even in play. The only thing in play is conclusions based upon observable, real things, okay, realities. Now, lastly, something with all of this, attribute of knowledge, attribute of will, attribute of volition, okay, attribute of ability, qudra, he must be alive. Because something like action, right, and knowledge are only properties of living things. Volition is intent, purposefulness is only the quality of a living thing. Now, once something is living, you're now cornered into, there are three things in which you're cornered to decide. You must make a decision on because living things must have these things. And they're mutually exclusive. A living thing either can see or cannot see. It can hear or cannot hear. Right? It can communicate or cannot communicate. So you now at this point, you have to choose one or the other. Once you said living, you have to choose one of the th these three. Okay, so uh, for each of these three categories. So at that point, we say, therefore, he must be Samir, Basir, and he has to kalam. Right? He can communicate. Because the opposite of these three would not be able to create. Mm. No vision, no hearing, no ability to communicate. He cannot create. Right? So he ha And it would be a, a defect. Right? Be defective. So therefore, at, as a result of all the centuries of thought about this subject, the Mutakallimin have come up with these 13 attributes right 13 rationally comprehensible attributes of and that's the defined god so the idea that is wujud sifat al-nafs is wujud existence right and then you have wahdania baqa qidam mukhalafat al-hawajid ghina al-mutlaq okay then you have the seven haya ilm irada qudra sama basar and kalam which are translation uh, existence oneness uh, difference from all uh, created uh, contingencies. Contingent thing is something that came into existence. Okay? Uh, timelessness, in other words, pre-eternal and eternal. In other words, completely timeless. And then al-ghina al-mutlaq, having no need, which is outside of time and space. He's not needing time, space, or any causes. And then haya, he is alive. Ilm, knowledge, irada, ability. Uh, uh, sorry, will. Qudra, ability, and then Sama basar kalam, hearing, seeing, and speech, and speech. So these, so these are the thirteen qualities. Now, there's some universities out there. They, they, they attribute something that's incorrect to the Ahl Sunnah, the Ashaira. They say that you all say that God only has thirteen attributes. We say no, He has thirteen rationally comprehensible attributes. Mm. But what we do say is also, as Imam Al Bayhaqi states. All of the 99 attributes of, or all of the Asma' al-Husna can be rooted into one of these. Mm. Right? So, al-Ghafur, forgiver, is rooted in his Qudra and Irada. He's able to forgive and he's willing to forgive. Right? So, we believe in all of the attributes of Allah Ta'ala and we say that all of them also can be rooted in one of these 13 mm. attributes of Allah yes. Ta'ala. So, he is al-Zahir al-Batin. He's a zahir, he's the outwardly manifest, and he's the inwardly hidden. What does that mean? How is Allah zahir and batin? It's relative to us. As Imam Sanusi says, his manifest and hidden is relative to the human being. These 13 attributes are manifest. But there are some that are hidden. Like what? How are they hidden? They're hidden from the intellect. 
But how do we know them? Through prophecy, transmission. Right? And certainty only occurs through reason, transmission, and observation. Right? Through observation and reason, we come upon that these this is these thirteen attributes. We come upon them. But only through transmission. Hidden from our intellect is his name, for example. His name, Allah, is hidden from our intellects. He's hidden that from our intellects. No one by thinking would come to the conclusion his name is Allah. You need to have now the second leg of religion, of deen, is nubuwa. Right? Nubuwa. And we'll read today uh, some of the, uh, some of the, I want to read today some of the things that, indicators of nubuwa. Because mm-hmm. this season what we're trying to bring out is why is it that belief in the Prophet wasallam is also a rational proposition? Right? It's a reasoned position. It's not just, uh, it's not just awham. Right, so only through Nubuwa you would know his name is Allah. Only through Nubuwa you'd know that the, all the other attributes of Allah. Only through Nubuwa you would know what he wants from us, etc. All of these things. So he's Dahir in this aspect to the intellect in this aspect, and he's Baltin, hidden, inwardly hidden from all those other aspects. That the Prophet comes, every Prophet comes to his people and pushes away the veil from these things. Who is he? What does he want from us? What are his names? How does he like to be to, what, what, worshipped? You even you might not even think that he wants to be worshipped, right? So the fact that he wants to be worshipped, etc. Now before we get into that though, I want to take a statement based upon this very basic uh, uh, logic that we're, ta- that we're using here. And many another false accusation on the Ahl-Sunnah comes upon that where you're using like Greek logic, right? There's nothing other than inherent logic used in the doctrinal elements of the Ashadis, Maturijis. And these are very basic principles. Principle of identity, for example, being the idea that everything and every utterance that you make, every word, right? Everything that you can imagine, every concept, everything that you would talk about has to have essences and attributes. The essence is what every single one of these things have in common. For example, if I say apple, redness of the apple is not the essence. Mm. That's an attribute. But the essence is that which defines what an apple is and separates it from any other word. So you would, I don't know, you would take, say, it's a fruit, say, like, um, whatever the essential traits that every single apple has. In philosophy classes, they use the chair, right? Mm. What is a chair? That which you sit on, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be leather, wood, it may have arms, it may have not, may not have arms, right? But there are certain attributes that make it a chair. So that's the principle of identity. The principle of, if you apply this now to your language, and you make an assertion, that assertion will either be true or false, right? In my right hand, there is an apple. We know what right is. We've defined right, we've defined hand, right? We define is, and we define apple. That statement now will be true or false. There's no middle. So that... That concept is called the principle of the excluded middle. So it's going to be true or it's going to be false. It's not going to be in the middle. Then lastly, once we know that the principle is true, right, or false, we now know that the mutual exclusive opposite will take the opposite ruling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I say there is no apple, right, in my right hand, or if I say there, there is an apple in my right hand and we decide that's true, then this, the assertion, his right hand is empty, is false. Must be false. Because yes. we just said that there's an apple. 
That's called the principle of non-contradiction. So we just said there's an apple. You now must observe, uh, uh, believe that the proposition that his hand, right hand is empty is false. Okay. These are very basic things that uh, um, there's nothing Greek about it. Mm. Okay. So for that accusation that people oftentimes worry about and make is completely false. Based upon these very... Let me, let me give you guys a little quiz now. Stephen Hawking, supposed to be like uh, considered the genius of his time. Right. He has a statement here, and he write his entire proposition, which the New Atheists utilize in his book, The Grand Design, is summarized in this following sentence. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. Now, here's the amazing thing. This guy, he's a physicist. right? He lives in the world of observation and calculation. He so obviously and very clearly has not given any attention to basic logic, right? And it's amazing that just the words of a, a, a man of science are not always scientific, mm-hmm. right? And, and in our deen, we see this too, right? Don't you see mammoth mashayikh in one field making a very basic blunder in another field? Mm. It happens, right? And you're like, wait a second, how did that happen? Well, we see an example of it right here. And other physicists in England... And other uh, professors in England have written books in response to this statement. And say, look, his entire book, The Grand Design, has some nice observations in it, that which is something that you can actually assess. But if this is the summary of it, the entire thing is, um, there's no point to look in the rest of the argument. So, should I quiz you guys? What is the first uh, inconsistency in the statement? Sure. Um, Can I just have a stab at it? Yeah, go ahead. Um, gravity, by definition, is something. It's like the measurement of the attraction of two physical objects. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So this, the, that's one out of three contradictions in a statement. That when he, he's not even saying gravity, he's the law of gravity, right? Mm-hmm. And in order for there to be a law of something, then that thing must exist. Gravity mm-hmm. itself must exist. And if gravity itself must exist, then it requires the, at the bare minimum three things to exist: an object, a surface, and time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when I, I need an object to be attracted to a surface, that's two objects, and the moment of the motion will occur over a period of seconds or a period of time. So time must exist. Time is a thing, right? So his statement right there, the law of gravity actually implies that at minimum three things exist. Mm. Okay. Number two, um, second, there's a second inconsistency here. Second one, um, he's. You actually picked the hardest one. Hmm. Well, isn't this doesn't this lead to the law of non-contradiction then? Uh, Completely. Principle, con- principle Completely. Of non-contradiction. Yeah. So he's telling you, there is. What is the meaning of is? It implies that there's something. Yes. It implies existence, right? It's kind of like the Krausian uh, um, mistake that Lawrence Krauss made. Yeah, which is what? That he's saying by nothing, some, it's, that's actually something. He's contradicting himself. Yeah, he actually, the only way that Krauss could get out of it is to, now Krauss is another whistle, whistle, right? Yeah. Filthy guy. Filthy morally and in his doctrine. Mm-hmm. I mean, some guy, guy could be an atheist but lives a clean life, right? Yeah, yeah. But this guy is both. <laughs> by the way, I think he's out too. He's humiliated too. Yeah, for yeah me too. He's victimized. Me too movement. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he victimized people, hmm. right? So, uh, 
It's funny, um, cause like years later after that debate he had with Hamza Zortzis, where he was like bashing out the Muslims for um segregating based yeah. on like hijab and whatnot. Yeah. Now, like it gets you know now comes back to him now. Yeah. So he you have something. A person once mentioned like um like if he followed like basic Islamic laws like you know if he just protected himself, no one would have the opportunity. I know. To point your well, finger the, at well, him. Well, Sharia does not necessarily want to avoid the pitfalls. It wants to even avoid. Even the ability to be accused. Yes, indeed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They say Arabic. Arabic. Right. Yeah. Stay away from exactly. places where people can point a finger at you. Yeah. So the statement is mm-hmm. implies wujud, implies existence, and he n- told you what existed: a law of gravity, right? And then at the end of the statement, he said, "Create itself out of nothing," right? Mm-hmm. So you just said that there is something. Mm-hmm. There's an ingredient. Right. With these ingredients, I'm going to create an apple pie out of nothing. Right? <laughs> it's not out of nothing. Right? It's yeah. you just said you have ingredients. Right? So that's the second contradiction. There's one more. There's one more contradiction in a statement. Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. The third contradiction is create itself. Oh. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> create For itself. Yeah. So it will create. Mm-hmm. Create is a verb. Verbs also imply existence, mm-hmm. right? The subject exists. If the subject is doing of is taking an action of creation, okay, the universe is the subject. Create is the verb, and itself is the object. So you're implying that it must exist and not exist simultaneously, right? So, believe it or not, I read this to uh, a ten-year-old boy. Just as an experiment. I said, listen, <laughs> tell me something. Does this make sense to you? And I read it to him. He got two out of the three. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't get the one of a law of gravity that it implies the existence of something. Yeah. Right. Uh, it implies gravity and then it impl- and gravity itself implies mm-hmm. uh, an uh, object, a surface and time. He didn't get that one, but he got create itself right away. And then even before I was done, he said, wait a second. He just said there, there is a law of gravity. How could he be nothing? Right, mm-hmm. create itself out of nothing. So, this is a ver- the atheists now are really reaching, and the more you study the, the 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 arguments of atheists, the more you realize that it is nothing but Oham. His argument, the uh, Hawking's argument, is the multiverse mm-hmm. is because of this law of gravity, right? Uh, that an infinite number of universes with an infinite number of properties would possibly exist. Now, to, this is uh, far more. Uh, based in it's this is the the idea of the multiverse is completely a speculative belief it's a speculative belief. this statement right here that we just read is an irrational belief it's irrational because it contradicts itself right anything self-contradictory is irrational yes. that's an irrational belief of course the existence of square circles you can believe in it all you want that's an irrational belief we say that our iman is a ra- reasoned belief all right it's a rational belief it's a belief that it leads us to accept something that we haven't seen ourselves, but it's reason, it, but it's logic that has led us to that. Just like if someone's knocking at the door, in a systematic way, we would conclude, we have to conclude, there is a sentient, conscious being who has knowledge and awareness beyond the, behind the door. I.e., it's not an acorn blowing in the wind, it's not a dog wagging his tail, like, mm-hmm. it's a knock... It's clear that that's a human being. However, we don't know what human being. Is it the neighbor? Is it the UPS man? Is it, you know, who who is it, right? Uh, 
So we don't. That's that's a ra- a re- reasoned belief that because of evidence indicates us that a human being is there, but the rest of the human being is unknown to us. We need another source. We need someone to send uh, someone upstairs to go look out the window or open the door and come and tell us. That's Nabuwa. Right? It's someone who was able to gain access that we don't have, which is someone went out, opened the door. The man says, hi, I'm the UPS man. I'm here to deliver a package. I need your dad's signature. Kid comes down. Hey, this kid uh, doesn't look like he has any signs of lying on him. He hasn't lied before about who's at the door. He's sadaqa, I mean, right? And we accept his testimony. So we should all go up and sign for this package, right? Before the guy drives away with it, right? So that's the analogy of reason and nabuwa. So that's a reason belief. What we just read of Hawking is an irrational belief. And his belief in the multiverse is a completely speculative belief. Speculative meaning that nothing irrational itself, not self-contradictory, but it's pure imagination, mm-hmm. right? It's pure imagination. And that's what we call a speculative belief. And a speculative belief is purely, is, is, is categorically beneath a reasoned belief, right? a rational belief. So he's bringing us something that number, and, and here's, the, here's the amazing thing about the multiverse. His theory about the multiverse and it's that, that it's really, we're just one uh, inevitable result of this law, this M theory, and this law that has spit out basically like a, a firework when a firework goes up and it spits out mm-hmm. and it produces all these other uh lights we're just one right so he's trying to remove the ta'ajub element the amazement element of our universe he said no no there's many others but here's the thing he still didn't remove that's actually not an argument against the creator right yeah if we had to follow you we would still simply say that you still haven't answered the cause Right, we would still say, even if that was the case, we would still say, which, which, by the way, we don't have actually necessitate belief that we're the only mm-hmm. planet of Earth with beings. There may be beings we cannot imagine, right, that exist somewhere else. And he, Prophet Sallallahu said, the likeness of this Samat Dunya, which we don't even know where we are in it. It's so vast, is like a ring in a desert, right? In comparison to the first heaven. The first level, not paradise, but the first la- la- layer above us. There's a layer of existence above us, and that is like a ring in a desert in comparison to the layer above that, right? So we don't even disbelieve and disregard that there could be, mm-hmm. there are other alamin out there, but still doesn't negate that they were created, right? So it doesn't. And by the way, his, his uh, amazing thing is that his theory for the multiverse requires fine tuning, right? So. All he's saying is that, okay, we're not alone, but the theory of the multiverse himself, it's saying it requires complexity. Mm-hmm. So you really, all he's just expanded, the nature of the universe has not altered anything from the line of thinking and the argument. So that's basically uh, Hawking's uh, book, The Grand Design, and the summary of it in, in one line, and how it's riddled with three. This is like the, you know, I don't know if you guys have in Chicago, Comcast. Everywhere you drive in New Jersey, you see the billboard for the Comcast triple play, right? I mean, this is like the Hawking triple play of, of logical fallacies <laughs> and inconsistencies. <laughs> so they got people writing books on it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So so this is uh, really the summer. I wanted to get into Nabu, but it might get late now, so we might not 
uh, get into Nabu, but this was, what do you have? Sheikh, can I um, ask one question? There's Shoot. a question that's been in the back of my mind. I've uh, been searching for an answer for a long time. Um, I know that, like what you said earlier, um, one of the major premises for establishing the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you know the universe must have had a cause. Mm-hmm. Now the famous Ashari scholar Imam Ghazali rahimahullah was an occasionalist and if I'm correct, um, occasionalism means that there is no necessary um, connection between a cause and an effect. Mm-hmm. It's just like you know just a pattern perceived pattern. So um, does the, does not occasionalism result in the denial of causality and if so, how can we now argue for it doesn't uh, the causality when we speak of causality, there's tasarruf al-jihad, which means from our, when we say causality in regular observation, what we mean is, what Imam al-Ghazali is saying, is a pattern, a predictive pattern of predictability, which Allah Ta'ala has created for us out of rahmah. Otherwise, we couldn't survive. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we could not learn anything. So if you light a match like this on paper, you'll get a fire, right? What Imam al-Ghazali is saying theologically is that Fire in itself doesn't burn, right? The ca- the causation itself, okay, is something that Allah has created. He creates the creator of both. That we do not believe that intrinsically water nourishes and food satiates, knives cut, or fire burns. Is to believe that at, the, at this instant, you lit this fire, and the next instant, Allah created the fire, right? So that's the only thing that he's removing. It's actually a doctrine of tanzi. Tanzi, and tanzi means the um, to free your belief from a false a falsehood about Allah Taala, right? And it, and uh, what's the best English? Uh, it's transcendence, right? That Allah Taala is not sharing power with the fire. If a Muslim was to believe that the fire Allah gave the fire power, right? We would say that's a bid'ah belief, but it is not kufu. It's not. It's a bid'ah belief. If he believed that the fire itself has power, in itself, then we'd say that that's you're assigning the qudra of Allah into a, to his creation. That would be kufr. So we don't believe that uh, it has any ability in itself. That's why everything that whenever a Muslim speaks of causation, he says bi Right. Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam, yuhyi al-mawta bi-ithnillah. Right? He does all these miracles by the permission of Allah. So the fact that we say he does these miracles refers to our observation. And the statement bi-ithnillah refers to our theological belief. That is not him himself doing it. It's bi-ithnillah. And, and like, what about scholars who came like a century later, like Ibn Rushd, and tried to refute Ghazali's position? Um, did they take like the deterministic approach? And by doing so, if they did so, um, did they cast themselves outside the Pale of Islam? Would we they... wouldn't say the Pale of Islam if they're trying to say that. I didn't really read Ibn Rushd, by the way, so I can't really uh, specifically about that. But what we do know is that anyone who, who attributes that any creation has qudra in and of itself okay it is basically you're stating that uh he's independent of allah ta'ala right and we know he is a samad mm. the na- divine name a samad means he is needed at all times right he's needed at all times so you're basically saying that allah ta'ala has removed samadaya from himself right and that's a contradiction that's irrationality it's almost like saying someone who's saying does so the idea of the the statement taking god create a rock that he cannot lift is an attempt 
to say, can God remove one of his attributes mm -hmm. from himself and still be God? We say that that's a complete irrationality. And you're basically saying, can a triangle lose one of its sides and still be a triangle, right? Mm -hmm. You're basically negating the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a jumble up of words. The actual specific response, and it's, uh, mashallah, um, uh, Nazmo has actually came up with a good, uh, he has a good podcast on this. And one of the things, the points that he made is that he said that in that specific argument, can a God create a rock that he cannot lift? The other fallacy in that is that he's attributed liftability to become a property of rocks. Lift it, there is no such property. It's an imagined property. Liftability is not a property of the rock. L lifting is a property of the one do of the person lifting, right? Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying, "Are you? Can God remove qudra? Can he be weak? Can he can he be not uh, uh, omnipotent, right? So you're saying, can God be not God and mm -hmm. be God at the same time? So there again goes against the principle of identity. This is why it's very important for every Muslim, really, if you're if you're someone who reads and thinks in this world, and we're in a world of mixed religions here, of atheists and Muslims living side by side, right? Of people full of, of doubts, of common questions that come up into people's mind. This is almost becoming like, uh, I would say, every teacher should teach these things, mm -hmm. okay? To guard Muslims. And ilm al-kalam is not needed in Islamic environments. It's needed when you're mingling with disbelief hmm. okay and the principle of identity and that this is why we're actually dead against some of all of these groups that fight against kalam we are saying when you fight against this kalam that we're talking about not the uh, extremes because there are ashaira who did cite ibn sina verbatim who's citing aristotle verbatim with assumptions we're not talking about those those extremes we flushed out even if they attributed themselves to ashaira we flushed that out we're talking about this logic that we're talking about, that we all agree on, is how to use the intellect properly. If you are telling Muslims this is a bid'ah, okay, what you're doing is you're handicapping them. You're basically saying, go into a war with the sunnah, with a sword. Forget the fact that he has a rifle and a machine gun. You go follow the sunnah. And this is firstly not the sunnah number one. Mm -hmm. right? Quran says, all over the place. <laughs> right? So it's not the sun in the first place. And number two, you are setting people up for failure. You're setting people up to be unable to answer any of these questions, any of these doubts. And you hear this common thing that all the philosophers, can God create a rock that he can't lift? We've answered it in within itself without recourse to anything else because the atheist in front of you, he's not going to accept scripture, Quran. Within itself, this is kalam. Kalam takes an argument of kufr and shows that within itself is inconsistent. Within itself, it will lead to harming itself, which is the argument from absurdity. Which means, let's take this to the final logical conclusion and show how ridiculous this is. right? Uh, or contradiction within itself. So that argument is contradictory in itself. And the idea that belief in that Allah Ta'ala has given ability to His creation and is not the one creating at every moment is very similar. It is taking the is saying God took away from His own Qudras. Right? <clears throat> So what we say about ourselves is what Allah has granted us is the will to intend. That's all we have. Everything beyond our intention is created. right? He's granted us the will to intend, to make intentions, and then our actions are kesbi. We intend, and Allah Ta'ala creates from our intention. 
based upon, based upon what we choose. Yeah, Sheikh, I know you have to draw the podcast to a close now, mm-hmm. so forgive no, no me problem. for my incessant no questioning. Keep going. But before you do close up, um, mm-hmm. can you please recommend a book to our listeners and to us as well, um, where we can learn um, the definitions of these famous logical fallacies, so that we can, you know, um, watch out for them, so we don't fall into these fallacies ourselves, mm-hmm. like you know, the principle of non-contradiction, etc. Any reading material or any source that you can suggest as a starting point. Believe it or not. Uh I haven't actually come upon one concise work, but I'm actually uh, compiling it myself. Right now. A lot of things are out there that, are, that you compile together, but we got to put it out in the sen- in a way that's um, the common Muslim can read it. Because the tradition that we come from, Imam Abdullah bin Adwid Haddad, which I don't say that I represent those traditions, but I, I I'm a student of those traditions. I'm not representative. There's a big difference because sometimes. Um, you know, you don't want to claim to be representative of something and then you ruin it mm-hmm. by not representing properly. But I would definitely say I'm a student of Imam Haddad's uh, tradition. And in his approach, there is no value in knowledge that cannot be accessed by all. Hmm. Prophets came like the sun for all. They came for everyone. So what I what you come upon a lot of these sources, but you couldn't really pass it on. It's confusing. It's, it's verbose. It's too cryptic. It's cryptic. So I take that and I try to put it in a way that a regular common Muslim can see this, read it, right, and um, and then and then you know benefit from it. And that's the whole point of the podcast too. Durus are sometimes hard for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what else you guys got? Any what else uh, you have so that maybe you could stimulate some maybe holes that we left or or anything. Um, regarding um, again, like you know, the difference between like Ashad and Matridi for the general population of yeah. Muslims, um, is it, you know how is it necessary for them to identify as one or the other, or can they simply just say that you know I just believe that La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. No, in this day and age, for our purposes here, for our our context, what I was taught is that what we just said is the skeleton of Kalam, right? That's the basic skeletal structure of Kalam. Mm. The idea that we have these principles of logic, this is not, has nothing to do with the Greeks, and from this we derive these this uh, definition and understanding of a manifest creator that is clearly manifest to the intellect, and we use these basic principles of logic as well. We use them in tafsir that Allah will not contradict Himself in the Quran. We use them in tafsir. This idea, this concept. The Ashara and the Maturidiyya share a hundred percent. So that's what we believe. That's what I was taught. I wasn't taught Maturidi doctrine, but I was taught that this skeletal structure of the way that mm-hmm. uh, the Hanafis, Hanafis and Shafi'is have adopted the Ashari uh, creeds, and where while the Hanaf have uh, adopted the Maturidi uh, branch, that they are they share this uh, trunk. Hundred percent. This is the trunk. And there are some furu' that they differed upon, but they're far'iyat that are insignificant to the actual trunk of the aqidah. And what we want to, we want this to be revived because the, the onslaught of atheism, okay, the onslaught of these things, when you take and you say, which is what the, um, uh, what the, the enemies of the sha'ira, are saying they're basically saying that forget all this mantuk right forget it all 
and just use transmission. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what we say about that is you're just handicapping everyone at this point. Definitely. This is so so unfair. You're basically sending them into the cage, right? Like uh, MMA fighter, don't use your left hand because makru, right? <laughs> <laughs> West left hand is only for Najasa. <laughs> so go in and fighting with one hand, right? Mm-hmm. You can get clobbered. And the result, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the result of any Islamic uh, upbringing or school or education, which goes on transmission only, and don't ask questions, and don't use this mantiq stuff, okay? Those kids will come out intimidated of the world. They will have to, to, to avoid these doubts, they have to recluse themselves. And, and what is the attribute of the textual literalists who don't use any mantiq? They have to recluse themselves. They're afraid. Afraid that you might ask ask him a question that we have no answer to, right? We have answered these questions, and they oftentimes look at religious authority as a dumb thing. Like these people are dumb. Hmm. Like they're not smart. Like I'm look. You look at Krauss. You look at Hawking. You look at any of these philosophers. Like these guys actually got a brain, right? But you look at now. Okay, now these religious sources. All he's doing is transmitting, which transmission, of course, is the holiest, noblest thing, mm-hmm. right? But if that's all you're doing, right? And I used to think, to be honest with you, I grew up like this. I used to get the books and it's all transmission. Qala, 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 qala. Transmission. And then I was inquisitive. I said, listen, these atheists are out there. I cannot be part of something where I feel like the foundation beneath me is weak. I got to be able to face the enemy of my own deen and have an answer, right? So... When I read the work of the philosophers, and I took philosophy classes, right, which I don't recommend people to do that, to study Kalam first, right? But when I read them, I got this, honestly, I got this horrible feeling inside of me. Like, honestly, these guys would school the works of the Mashiach that I'm reading. They would school them. These Mashiach would not even understand what's being said. Until I came upon Baqillani, Al-Ghazali, right? Uh, and the and the Ashari scholars, then I said, "Oh, these ulama of Islam, they can school them. These philosophers, they'll so, cut them apart." Mm-hmm. Because I looked up, I would open Ghazali's book, and I'm lost, right? And I'm like, "Alhamdulillah, that I'm lost," because that indicates that he's smart. <laughs> if I'm here and I'm like a 19 year old, right? <laughs> yeah. And I can grasp everything that he's saying because when you go to the transmission only, yes, madhab. You go there and he's qala, qala, qala. The only thing I don't understand is like the meaning of this word, the vocab. I can look it up in the dictionary. But mm-hmm. as a structure of his work, all he's doing is transmitting, mm-hmm. right? There's no, I can't, I'm not, imp, uh, there's nothing impressive about his actual thought, right? But whereas you read these philosophers and is they're, 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 they're hitting hard. So when I came upon Ghazali's work and I just looked at the structure of the work, right? And I got lost. I just said Alhamdulillah, right? <laughs> and when I got a Baqilani, I didn't even get that far. With Baqilani, you're completely mm. lost. Now, probably now I could read yeah. it and, and grasp what, exactly what he's saying. And Al Fakhr Razi, Fakhr Razi, by the way, is one of those who he, he from the from the dissenters against the Ashari's. They they mm-hmm. usually quote Fakhr Razi for going to excesses in citing Ibn Sina and Arustu. Really fine. That's not in core doctrine, not in core doctrine. In mm-hmm. secondary matters, right? Yeah. So that's not an issue. But reading Fakhr Razi, oh my gosh, like you feel your intellect is actually like tired. <laughs> I'd, I'd just like to throw in a little like 
not even like one thing is like a book specifically dedicated to kalam but even it's tafsir like under simple verses like wa'alam adam al-asma yeah. i'd recommend like any scholar ch- check up on the discussions you bring al-fakhr al-razi it's just like your brain's like you could feel it slowly getting fried i'm telling you firstly al-fakhr al-razi when you read his book it's like this this ayah brings out three points. The first point brings out six points. Yes. The, f- the, the first point of the six brings out three points. And here's the answer to the f- exactly. that fourth point too. I, I think it's like his train yeah. of thought would never end. That's why no. it just carries on forever. And, and it's so structured. It's almost like the reliance of the traveler house structured <laughs> A 7.0, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Right? And, but then at the end of it, then he goes into a dialectic. If you look at some of the ayahs, then he says, yeah. okay, now let's bring up mm-hmm. what if someone says this? What if someone says this? Mm-hmm. What if someone says this? Mm-hmm. That When I was reading Fakhr Razi and Soas, his books takes up like almost like a whole, his tafsir takes up like 30 mm-hmm. volumes, right? Yeah. It's like the whole half the stack is Fakhr Razi. And I would sit there and I would say, if Fakhr Razi came back, would school all these people. <laughs> he would school all. All he would need to do is he would need to say, give me a week to catch up on what observations scientific mm-hmm. observations you have you p humans have come up with <laughs> that's all he needs to catch up with but as for the mantuk as the for the use of the evidence he'll cut them up so any of these ancients in our history not really ancients yeah. mm-hmm. when you have a history where mm-hmm. Sayyidina ibrahim is the father mm-hmm. of the abu l'anbiya the prophet muhammad sallallahu is so contemporary nice. right yeah. and then uh and then fakr razi is like just a couple centuries ago no big deal for them it's a big deal because yeah. their history really the history of the West really starts 1500. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Our history is like uh, far older than that. But if you took back Al-Ghazali or Fakhr razi or Sanusi or any of these A'imma uh, and you said to him, we need you to ha- help us out here in the world of argument and debates with these people and, and clarify our deen. I'm telling you, all he would need is he would say, give me a month, give me all of the works of science of the observations that you all have made Right, because that's one thing that always advances observations. So the scientific observations that you've all made and what they're theorizing about it, he catches up on that. But the mechanism of taking an argument and through kalam showing its inconsistencies internally, mm-hmm. and then reconciling the ideas, the nataj of those kufriyat ideas with the Quranic concepts, right? That he has all those mechanisms, right? The reconciliation elements. Has all those mechanisms, so that's why I think that uh, this kalam. So, and and by the way, if someone says, "Listen, I want the most bare bone, basic kalami approach to Deen," we would say, "Easy, read Imam and Nawawi." Hmm. Imam and Nawawi utilizes the basic principles of mantiq, hmm. non-contradiction, right? Identity, everything has to have a, a meaning, right? And if you look at when we argue with the in terms of the asma wa sifat on the mutashabihat of uh, uh, you know Ibn Taymiyyah okay, rahimahullah, what we say is the principle of identity is abused here right the principle of identity because we say that when an, a word is uttered in the Quran Allah says it's lisan mubin. this is a clear Arabic mm-hmm. tongue so therefore every term the, the, how, what, what, uh, the meanings that existed with the Arabs are the only meanings in play right mm-hmm. that's the only meaning in play you cannot go and Establish yourself a new meaning. Definitely, right. Definitely. So that's our, so again, even that is principle of identity. What is the meaning of this word as the Arabs understood it at their time? Because the Quran says the Quran came in their tongue as they understood yes, it at their time. Of course. Okay, not anything else. So 
Imam al-Nawawi is the one who utilizes just the fundamentals and he's a mainly its transmission. However, there is a structure of mantiq. There's mm-hmm. a structure of uh, aql. Mainly what's intuitive. Yes. Yeah. There's the structures mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And you see it. And that's yeah. why it frees you of inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. By the way, textual literalism is one of those things that on the outside it looks so crisp. Okay, one book, one this, one that. Mm-hmm. one med- No madhabs, just one thing. It looks like that on the outside. Once you get inside, the actual inconsistencies that occur are so many. Mm-hmm. Right? Are so many. And that's not the topic of our podcast, but yeah. they, but the Ahnaf, the Shafi'iyah, and the Malikiyah, uh, Shahar and Maturidiyah, uh, those inconsistencies, you don't find them there mm-hmm. as much. Sheikh, what you're saying really reminds me of what Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, had once mentioned in his Al Munqid Min Al Dalal, Deliverance from Arrow. Uh, de- de- deliverance from um, error mm-hmm. where I think during the section where he's um, giving his commentary on mathematics what's Islam's position on mathematics in which he says that you know um, certain well-intentioned scholars who mean well for the people but when they tell them to refrain from mathematics and say it's haram yeah. what it does for the people who understand the precision and accuracy mm-hmm. the mathematics can yield yeah. um, it, it pushes them away from Islam and impates the Islamic Islamic scholarship in a negative light totally you know? totally so it really reminded me of what you, uh, exactly. what you said right now exactly and um, what's his name uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson another one of those people who he may have had, obviously has an expertise in one field History is not one of them because he mm-hmm. goes on on one of these talks and he says, well, the Muslims have a guy named Ghazali. Now, Ghazali prohibited math on the Muslims and therefore all the Muslims stopped studying math. First of all, not all the Muslims obey Ghazali. That's the first thing. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. that's not what he said, the exact opposite. Remember, Ghazali said the exact opposite of what Neil deGrasse Tyson accused him of saying or attributed to him. So that's a great example. Right, yes. that the Muslims, uh, when they, when, when mathematics developed in that sense, and some people were against it, I'm telling you, if you look at what, if we can take what Allah Taala has allowed to flourish and represent His Deen, the Ottoman Empire, okay, the Mughal Empire, right, what were they both? They were Hanafi uh, Maturidis, right. So now many people will say, okay, you can't use that as a proof. All right, well, maybe we can't use that as a solid proof that this is of truthfulness. It's suggestive. It's just suggestive, but they're very... The aql is, is, is primary. When it's strong, the whole civilization is strong, mm-hmm. right? And those civilizations were very... They gave a lot of room for the aql. When you shut down the aql and you say only naql, right? Naql is transmission, aql is reason. You really weaken your society. Hmm. Go just go look at the result of Saudi society today. The intellectuals they do not look up to the ulama. The intellectual, the journalists, the writers. I'm telling you, the doctors, and I know some of them. Wallahi, I know some of them, they, and they're the ones who studied medical school abroad, etc. You know that they sort of are embarrassed of their muftis. They're embarrassed. Like, how could you view yourself? Like, I view myself, I'm a lot smarter than these guys, mm-hmm. right? These guys are not that bright. He memorized. You know that memorization, besides that, it's a holy text. That's different. But memorization in and of itself is not worth 10 cents. Let me be honest, right? The only reason memorization of the Quran is worthwhile is its re- reward in the Akhirah. And it's a full barakah. And the process itself is purification, is tazkiyah. Number two, the memorization of religious rulings are excellent 
because you need them. It's, you need them in daily life. But if we're going to measure a person, memorization by itself is, is not the value. The value is understanding. The value is being able to handle right, new circumstances. That's where the value comes in. So the value of a person is not just what he know when he can regurgitate to you now, right? Mm-hmm. The value of a person is his understanding, and his understanding is revealed when new circumstances are thrown his way, and he's able to handle them, even if he struggles to handle them at first, but eventually he figures it out. That indicates to us that he's understood, right? So, um, like that type of reflexivity, like you, you're able to reflex against something, you're able to uh, handle and. Uh, uh, one philosopher, contemporary guy, he called it uh, uh, convexity, right? Convexity, which is that convexity is the idea. It's I'm, I'm drawing a graph here going from the bottom of the graph, curving up. You see this? So this is convex. It's a mm-hmm. convex line, which means that over time, the greater the challenge, the more that comes out of you, right? And... This is isn't this the indicator of our theologians, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The more they were challenged, the the better, they right? They responded. When they're the less challenged they are, it's actually bad for them. So the human being, you you have three options. You can either be fragile, robust, or convex, or convex, or resilient, right? Not even resilient. Resilient's not even the right. Resilient means you get bombarded and you keep getting back up. Getting back up is not an achievement, mm. right? It's, a, uh, it's only that you didn't die. Mm-hmm. So resilience is not even the right word. Okay. So this philosopher came up with this idea and called it convexity, which means the more you're attacked, the better you get. Whereas uh, a, tea, a teacup is fragile, right? A small attack will break it. Okay. A bowling ball is, robot, is sturdy. You can hack away at it with a baseball bat, nothing will happen. But it doesn't achieve anything. Mm-hmm. It didn't improve. Mm. The human being that is upon the truth, okay, he possesses a different quality, which is the more you try to heave doubts at him, the more shaitan works on this mu'min, the better he gets. And this is Allah saying in the Quran. So what was he before that? He was a regular Muslim. Shaitan came and with a trick upon him. He fell into the trick. What did the mu'min become? He now, tadakkar, he starts thinking, okay, what, how am I going to get out of this situation? The result is, he's mubsir. He didn't begin the ayah as mubsir, right? He began the ayah in a regular state, right? He's just as a mu'min. He's described as a mu'min. Right? So he's described with one quality of mu'min. When shaitan comes at him, he's thinking now, how am I going to handle this problem? He results now as mubsir. And the mufsid is superior to simply mu'min. Of course. Yes. Right? Definitely. So uh, for this reason, for this uh, this idea, that's what understanding is. And I, whenever we have the students with Safina, uh, and I, I always try to tell them this. It's like, look, you need to be someone that the you need to truly understand the core of what we're trying to say here. Right? Uh, truly understand what the deen is was saying so that one, you can be thrown in any situation and anything can come at you you actually you find a way through your understanding right to come out with a solution whether it be a moral problem a political problem an ideological like a philosophical problem a shahwa problem temptation problem whatever it is you can fail for a while 
as long as you come out better and come out with a solution. Resilience. Makes yeah, resilient and improvement. Mm-hmm. The, re- the resilient just stays the same, mm-hmm. right? He survives and he, re- he stays the same, but you need to improve through these tests. You take one step back, you might take 100 steps back, but you're going to take 1,000 forward. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, like, you know, some, sometimes um, some Muslims, you know, we feel a bit like uh, assailed by like so many attacks and then we start, you know, yeah. we start over worrying too much. In fact, if you go through Islamic history, subhanAllah, lots of the service, a lot of the works and the khidmat that were like, you know, written and penned by the ulama were done as a response, right? So, it's, totally. for example, for example, they were uh, a plethora of weak hadiths going around. Mm-hmm. Then ulama Ikram came up and then we had a collection of sahih hadith, which is yeah. such a great khidmat of the ummah. Yeah. There was something else going on. Then a person wrote a tafsir in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. And then, for example, um, right now, so we have some of the people. Uh, some people are attacking some, you know, some hadith co- collections. And what's, going, what's happening? People are writing responses and doing more research. Yeah. And um, uh, exactly. Go on. Finish. One last example that just comes to mind is, like people trying to find. Uh, it's this happening recent time. Like this thing, the last one hundred years, people are trying to find inconsistency in the Quran and itself. Is saying, you know, mm-hmm. there's no connection to the Quran itself. It's so like unconnected and disconnected, and there's mm-hmm. no now. So that now the scholars are coming up to find the connection between the Quran yeah. itself and it's just amazing you know and and all of theology in fact and it, it, it is why some people call it dialectical theology because someone brings an attack and you have to respond to the attack right while remaining consistent to the sources so also as an answer to the wujud al-kufar why disbelievers mm-hmm. exist disbelievers are actually extreme why shaitan exists they both Improvement, the source of your ranks, the source of the rank of scholars and awliya is the attack of shaitan and, and of kuffar, right? Of atheists and disbelievers. Because of them, you you fight back, tadakkaru, they remembered, faidahumubsirun, enlightened, right? So without them, we would just be stasis. And stasis rots in dunya. In dunya, a lake by itself with no wind, it rots. Right, you can't even if you even in the books of fiqh, if you make wudu in it, you have to shake away the wasakh, the filth, right, and then make wudu. But status quo is one of the worst things for, or we could say, uh, um, remaining in stasis is very bad for the creation, for us as creation. So, Mm. all right, it's time for maghrib. Jazakumullah khairan. Any final comments? My pleasure. Thanks for, for coming and, and making this visit. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat. Wa tawasabu al-haq. Wa tawasabu al-sabr. Wassalamu alaikum.